There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, and as your producer, just remember, maybe talk a little bit less about yourself and a little, maybe not, next time, not so much cool. about your ex. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for the collaborative spirit. Right. I love working with you. I think this is going to be something else. You go, girl. <laughs> Great. So, are you going to go? Oh, yeah. Uh, sure, of course. Welcome to Come On, Come Out, a weekly podcast form of audio technology you can play on a personal device like a cell phone or a computer and maybe even an iPad. I'll look into that. Where real lesbians tell their real coming out stories. I'm Angela Rosserman. Today we are joined by Sherry Wolf. Sherry Wolf is the author of Sexuality and Socialism, History, Politics, and Theory of LGBT Liberation. Sherry fights for a world without bosses, borders, and binaries. Sherry, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. So up top, I'd just like to address something. Um, word on the street, or rather from the corporate higher-ups at Distillery 92, is that this show is hitting a nerve. So I just thought I would take a second to reflect on my experience doing Come On, Come Out and you know, how strongly I've been affected, you know, hearing these coming out stories. And it's, you know, unexpectedly triggered something in me. And I don't, that's probably why I'm remembering all these times. Anyway, Sherry, tell me about your coming out story. When, where, and how hard? <laughs> I planned it. Because when I think about coming out, it's like coming out to my folks. And that was, that was really hard. So it's 1985. I'm 20. Nobody's out. I knew how my parents would be. That, that If I tried to sit down and have a conversation with them, or if I called them up on the phone, I was at college in Chicago, my parents in New York, I thought, I'll be interrupted in three seconds. I'll never get it out. I'll cry. I'll shut up. I'll never say what I think. So I thought, I'm going to write a letter. This is before emails. This is an actual physical letter. And I thought, well, first, before I do that, I want to dispel their fears. So Christmas break was coming up. I brought my girlfriend, Barbara, home with me. I thought if they meet her and they see that she's a really cool person, they meet her as my friend, and then later on they find out that she's my lover, then it's all going to be cool because she's really cool. She's even like a nice Jewish girl. They met her. They liked her, all the rest of that. I go back to college, January of 1986. I sit down and I draft it, five pages, wrote out the whole thing. And I sent it off in the mail. I don't hear anything. Three days pass, four days pass. It's Sunday morning, January 12th, 1986. I get a call. I figure it's my parents. It's not. It's a friend of mine, and he tells me that 
a very dear friend of mine had been killed in a car accident. One car car accident, she'd been driving drunk, she flipped over, she's dead. Christina Bergmark. I was in shock. I, was, I, I couldn't believe that you could lose somebody like that in a second, that everything could be gone. And minutes after I got that call, and I'm weeping, and I'm screaming, and I'm rolling on the floor, and I'm just, I'm devastated, and it's my mother. Under ordinary circumstances, I would have thought that that would be a comfort, but I knew that they were calling about something else. They were calling about the letter. And I get on the phone, and my mother is crying, and she's does not take the news well. And rather than being the dutiful daughter that I was raised to be and that I really always had been, I think because I was so devastated from the news of my friend's death, I just said, you know what? I'm dealing with pain that I cannot even believe. A friend of mine is dead and this is your problem. You go deal with it and when you've dealt with it, we'll talk again. And, so, and, and suddenly this thing that seems so hard to do seems so negligible because it was so unimportant. It was like, Somebody's dead, and my parents are just going to deal with a little bit of a whatever, and they'll get past it because they love me. Um, and they did. How old were you when you, I guess, learned what gay was? It's really weird. I think I knew that there were gay men, but I had no idea that this, this was like, that there were girls could be gay until I went to this meeting um, of now of all things. Now in its early years, it had been horrifically homophobic. But by 1979, when I was 14, I went there because they were petitioning around the Equal Rights Amendment. I was like, I'm totally down. Walk into strangers' homes and talk to them and convince them to do something politically progressive? Sign me up. Um, so I went to a meeting, but then they showed a film about lesbians. Mm-hmm. And I was completely riveted. That me. You know, it was like, wow. that me. That's awesome. How old were you? Uh, 14. Wow. And it was that same year, I remember seeing a woman in the subway put her arm up and in the summer, and she was wearing like a tank top or something like that, and she had this big bicep, and I was like, oh my God, I want biceps. I didn't know that girls could have, I want that. And I just remember, like, these things were happening at the same time. Do you remember any of your first crushes? <sighs> oh my God, Stephanie Factor. Freckle-faced Stephanie Factor had adorable pigtails. I think she was nine. I was around the same age. Maybe she was a year older than me. We were in theater together. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. She was the sweetest thing. But um, so Stephanie Factor, definitely an early one. Of course, she was in hot competition with Barbara Streisand. Uh huh. And then I, oh my God, I had seen a um, a picture of Angela Davis. I was fascinated and absolutely astounded by her. So Angela Davis, Barbara Streisand, and Stephanie Factor. Tell me about your first sexual experience. Oh my God, it was great. I don't know if I've ever since had sex for seven hours, but we did. (laughs) Earl Clue was playing. There's candles. I think I was in Slummerville, in Somerville, you know, Massachusetts, in some crappy little apartment with like a million other lesbians and whatever. And I remember there was a, some schmata over the lamp that made it look really good. I thought it was classy. And there were like a beaded curtain, love beaded curtains ever since. And I couldn't bring myself to touch her. She was a little bit more experienced me than I was. But once we got down and dirty, I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I, I kept saying, I don't know what I'm doing. She said, you're doing great. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's but, what um, you want. Oh, Yeah. So that first sexual experience, was that your first girlfriend or did that come later? The real first girlfriend was in college. Mm -hmm. What's her deal? 
she's now married with two children and closeted. Um, she and I met each other in the anti-apartheid struggle on campus, where we occupied the administration buildings and plaza at Northwestern and demanded divestment from apartheid South Africa. And she and I made googly eyes across the encampment and fell madly in love and spent the next couple of years as lovers. And she's the one who I took home to mom and dad before I came out. And then, weirdly enough, wound up living down the street from 30 years later with her husband and her two kids. That must have been amazing because that would be like an opportunity to like meet up and like get that closure and be like, you know, what happened between us, right? You know, we did get together. She made a point of telling me that she didn't want people in the neighborhood to know that we had been college lovers. I feel like that's like exactly how my ex was because she says one thing and then she acts completely different. Like she pretty much acted like, you know, she was in love with me, like I was the best thing that ever happened to her. Then she just broke it off, changed her name, moved away. Wait, changed her name? She changed her name, yeah. What happened between you? Well, that's what I want to know because to me, I feel like nothing happened, but clearly to her, something happened. And so if I could just sit down with her and like, hash it out. Because if she has a problem with me, first of all, I think she's wrong. Second of all, I want to know what it is. Do you know what I mean? When did this relationship end? Just a couple years ago in 2012. Seven years ago. Can I ask you, how do you know when someone's really in love with you? (laughs) I think if you'd asked me that question 15 or 20 years ago, I would have answered it very much around body language. I think I would have very much conflated passion and, you know, well, passion and eroticism Mm -hmm. with being in love. Exactly. That's exactly what we had. We had passion. We had eroticism. But, But I'm saying that's not what being in love is. Love is when... Ever I go to a hotel, I look for the Samantha Johnsons. Love is when I go to Samantha's aunt's dental office just to see, just to see one picture of Samantha and her aunt on the wall. I mean, that's love. And I have these corporate heads and society at large telling me that I'm being obsessive, I'm being a stalker. These are the most passionless people you'll ever meet. They see someone in love doing normal in love stuff, expressing their love. They see that and they say, don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. To be called a stalker is just crazy. Um. Anyway, um, I'd like to end the show with a congratulations. You are our very first 10. Uh. You know, a 10 LGBTQ, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Scale of 1 to 10, how gay you are. So, yeah, on, on the show so far, you're the, you're the only 10 we've had. Mm. And now I would like you to get into the closet for your second coming out. It's this thing we do on the show, second coming out. Your first coming out is for your family. Your second coming out is for yourself. So you get in the closet and you get out. You want me to go into the closet? Yeah. We need you to do it. Um. Over here. Okay, whenever you're ready. 
that was Sherry Wolf, author, activist, labor organizer. Um, check her out, read her book on Haymarket Press. Thank you, Sherry. about coming out of the bathroom unless you have one positive thing to say. Are you listening? Do not come out because anytime you come out, you just have something negative to say. I'm sorry, I thought you were the producer. You're supposed to have solutions to the show. Any solution at all. I think I know the perfect guest. Recently divorced after many years had absolutely no idea that 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 she could like women until she moved to the city and started a new job that was a real challenge but realized that every morning when she got her morning cappuccino she would ask the lovely barista to put a fancy a on the top this woman would wear these very uncomfortable heeled boots to work just because her co-worker who she was falling for mentioned she liked them and suddenly her world just went from cloudy gray awful to well uh still gray but kind of crazy thundercloud amazing gray uh-huh she's middle-aged Ish. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's some like drama about them like being perhaps closeted for much of their life. I I like that. Why don't you bring this cappuccino lady in for episode five? Really? Wow. All right then. Um, good job today. I'll see you soon, I guess. Oh, I meant to say, if you ever wanted my niece to be on, it turns out that she's bi or queer or something. One of the letters. Anyway. Why would I want your niece on? <laughs> Oh, I understand. Oh, God. Valerie, yeah, she's a bit of a phony. All that woven girl nonsense. I told her not to do those films. She never listens to me, though, so... Wait. Your niece is Valerie? Valerie, the one that got you this job, is Valerie the supermodel? Slash actress? Slash superhero? Slash woven girl? That Valerie? Samita, how did you leave this out? Oh, I thought you knew. <laughs> I've been asking you for like a while. Do you know any famous people? Oh my God, this is a miracle, Samita. Like, do you have her number? Yes, like, she's my niece. Oh my God, you need to call her like right now. Call her right now for the next episode. Oh, well, I thought you wanted cappuccino lady. Uh, forget cappuccino lady. She can do, you know, uh, she can do the last one or something. All right. Call Valerie. 
Come On, Come Out was written and directed by Stuart Thorndike, produced by Julia Botero and Crystal Duhame. Editing by Crystal Duhame. Sound design and mix by Great City Post. Original music by Jason Faulkner. Special thanks to Ingrid Youngerman, Sherry Wolf, Mary Houlihan, Gabby Hoffman, Sam Jay, Anna Gasteyer, June Russell, and Diane Russo. All episodes recorded at Great City Post. Come On, Come Out is a production of Refinery29, Ditmas Park Productions, and Distillery92, who do not influence or endorse the content of this production. Thank you.